0: Hello, dear listeners, and welcome to the Nope Too Creepy podcast. This episode is one I've been awaiting for a while now. The same day this goes live is the same day I will be launching my first ever Kickstarter. The Kickstarter is being launched in hopes of funding my debut board game for a new small company I'm starting called Enkidu Interactive. I have a bunch of game ideas that I will be slowly developing and releasing through Enkidu Interactive, but it just felt right to have the flagship project be a game that revolves around a theme of horror and monsters. The game is called Encounters, an easy-to-learn board game where players take the role of a hunter. But not just any hunter. You will be capturing cryptids the horrific and supernatural creatures that go bump in the night. Throughout each game, you will be collecting the items you need and using them to capture monsters, keep yourself alive, or hurt your fellow hunters. Can you stay alive long enough to score the most points? If this sounds like something you'd be interested in, you can find the Kickstarter link in the description and the show notes. Any and all support is greatly appreciated, and I hope this is just the first in a grand collection of board and card games that will be published. Anyway, on to the show. I figured I had to pick a story relevant to the wonderful news of the Kickstarter, so I went ahead and found one long epic story about, you guessed it, a cursed board game. Perfect, right? Hopefully, this gets you in the mood in all the right ways. Join a group of young horror enthusiasts who stumble upon a sinister board game that changes their lives and their perceptions of the genre forever. Written by fellow podcaster, 10-Minute Horror, I present, I played a VHS board game called Don't Look Behind You and nearly lost my little brother. We met once a month. It was always a Friday at our house. My younger brother Davey and I started a horror club with my two best friends, Jeff and Brad. We talked our parents into letting us have the club on the last Friday of every month, where we would inhale a few bags of chips, a couple bottles of Coke and Sprite, and watch three or four horror flicks. We'd also go over the horror comics we'd read, and the occasional horror board game or two. Anything and everything horror-related. We were obsessed. The typical Friday would go like this. Mom or Dad would pick the four of us up from school and take us directly to Rogers or Blockbuster to go through the vast sections of VHSs to rent, though we'd spend the whole time in the horror section. There was a deal running where you can get five rentals for the weekend, so our parents would get one and we'd get four movies for the night we'd watch one before dinner, then three in a row afterwards. Davy and I shared a room with a bunk bed and had a TV and a VCR in it, so Jeff and Brad would sleep on the floor on Mom's yoga mats and we'd try to stay up all night, but we'd usually be out cold by 1 a.m. Stacy, our older sister, always came home around that time, I could hear her lame boyfriend, Craig, and his car engine from several blocks away. Sometimes she'd come in and try to scare us. Once she got Craig to climb the side of the house and bang on the window with a gnarly mask on. That really sent us. I was usually the last one awake, and I'd stay up, thinking about all the crazy stories and monsters we'd watch. I'd rate them against one another on their scariness. If there were any snacks left, I'd finish them in bed, up on the bunk, while looking back over the covers of the movies we'd rented. The next morning, we'd all have breakfast and talk about the different flicks we'd watched, and maybe re-watch the last one, if we had fallen asleep in the middle of it. Either Brad or Jeff's parents would pick them both up before lunch, and everyone's lives would return to normal, and I'd be left waiting for the next month to come. This Horror Club Friday finally came, and with it, Jeff had a surprise for us. But first, the video store. We rented Creepshow 2, Fright Night, The Blob, the 80s one, and Tremors. I'd seen Tremors and Creepshow 2, but Brad and Jeff had not, and they were pretty fun movies, so we agreed on them. We started with those two, before moving on to The Blob, which none of us had seen, but all immediately loved. It was now 10.30, and Jeff was ready to break out his surprise. We'd all wondered what it was, sitting in a large garbage bag in the corner the entirety of the night. Jeff explained he was out with his mom at an old boutique-style bookstore filled with antiques and ancient film reels, records, and a small VHS collection. He scanned through the VHSs, hoping for some horrors, but only found old classics. There was one, though, in a plastic case with a homemade label. It sat on a large rectangular box the size of a board game which is what it turned out to be. When Jeff told us, we all got super excited. We'd heard of VHS board games like Nightmare and Atmosphere, but hadn't ever seen one or played any. Even though this one looked to be completely homemade, it had some frightening artwork on the cover. And when we opened the box to see the actual game, it was as thick as a cutting board and just as heavy. The board was covered in zigzagging pathways, all stemming from one corner of the board and arriving at the center, where a pop-up structure of a cabin was marked with one word, HOME. Since it was a four-player game, each corner of the board had a starting place, and we each got a figurine token for a playing piece. Each piece was small and metal, in the shape of a child with the paint and colors smeared and faded. Each child's mouth was wide open in a scream. The four corners were all different, from a graveyard to a forest to a haunted mansion and finally a slaughterhouse. The objective of the game seemed to be for each of us to get to the middle of the board, or home, from whichever frightening origin point we started from. A simple four-sided die with the numbers 1 through 3 pushed you forward, while the fourth side would send you one step back. Every path moved through other paths, like a maze, and interacted with its origin point surroundings. Whether it was a path through the forest leading to a dead end, or a hallway in the slaughterhouse into a meat locker, you had to pay attention to your path, mainly because of the other element to this game. While your player was trying to get home, there was an additional figurine that moved, on its own, across the board, trying to catch you. I read the back of the box, and it sounded like the inner workings of the board game were filled with gears similar to a watch. They were powered by negative and positive magnets, which were the individual pieces and the board, and charged up whenever they were near each other. The villain figure must be more attracted magnetically to certain other figures which would make the choosing of our pieces all the more important. But how could I tell? The VHS came into play, acting as a sort of hour-long timer, counting down. If you didn't get home before the timer ran out, you were locked out. But you wouldn't be alone. The figurine that chased the players was in the shape of a dark, cloaked man with long, stringy hair. As far as board game tokens go, he was the scariest one I'd ever seen. I didn't even want to look at him, which made the VHS that much more unsettling. That stringy-haired man filled the screen, which was half-covered by shadows. You could only really see parts of the side of his face, and his eyes, which were as white as milk. When he spoke, it sounded like glass breaking. He introduced himself as, quote, the harvester of souls, and stated that he looked forward to getting to know ours. The harvester welcomed us to the game, which was called, Don't Look Behind You. He instructed us to take our places on the board, as the timer was about to begin. It glowed in red at the bottom of the screen. One hour. We had one hour to get to the center of the board. We took turns with the die, each rolling and making our first moves. Brad started. He was in the dark forest. Then it was Jeff, who was in the graveyard. Then Davy who had the slaughterhouse, and me, who landed on the haunted mansion. My first roll brought me three places forward, and the closest to home. My token was in a curving hallway, leading towards a staircase to the first floor. Then, the harvester's piece moved. Three places. It was going toward Brad in the forest, We all oohed and aahed at the untouched token. The harvester spoke through the TV, asking if the player was afraid of forests. Brad, caught off guard, looked to us and shrugged. The harvester then said if he wasn't afraid, he was about to be. Brad rolled again. A three. He landed on a card pickup. He nervously turned the cart over and found an image of the young boy that was on his token. The boy was walking through the dark forest on a slim, barely-lit path. The harvester was among the shadows, half his face lit by moonlight sprinkled through the trees. But his face, what we could see of it, wasn't that silky porcelain. It was bark-like rotted wood, but his eyes were still white and glared at the boy. At the bottom of the card, the words, Don't Look Behind You, were written. Down on the board, we realized the harvester's token had moved. It was now headed towards Brad. Brad got angry, though felt more scared than anything. Brad stared at the card. I could see how uneasy it made him. He looked over his shoulder, checking behind him. Jeff called him out on it, and we all laughed. Then it was Jeff's turn. His token was going down a path between graves, but landed on an empty one, which meant he lost a turn. Then it was Davy and he was making his way through the, quote, bleeding-out room of the slaughterhouse. We continued on through several turns, with each of us making our way through the frightening locations. The harvester was on the screen the whole time, staring down at us, watching. It really felt like he was. The one eye we could see seemed to track whoever was playing. I could even detect a smile here and there, when one of us would choose to go left instead of right down a fork on our pathway. The harvester's token caught Brad in the darkest part of the forest. As it did, his voice came over the screen, announcing Brad was no longer in the game. Brad sat back in a huff. What a jip. His token tipped over. Jeff was the next one to land on a card pickup. To get through the graveyard, he had to walk through a mausoleum and landed on a bad square. The card showed Jeff's token walking through the halls of the mausoleum. One coffin had been pulled out of the wall. Its lid opened. The harvester was peeking out from the inside, half his face hidden by a shadow. The visible half had been zombified, rotted, and grotesque. At the bottom of the card, again, the words, Don't look behind you, were written. Suddenly, Brad pointed behind Jeff and screamed. Jeff spun, panicking to see, but nothing was there. Brad was just pranking him. Jeff had turned, though, and looked. Down on the board, the harvester's piece was now turned towards Jeff. Within two turns, Jeff's token had been caught, and that frightening voice came over the TV again. He was no longer in the game. It was just Davy and I now. I was nearing the front door of the haunted house, and Davy was almost out of the slaughterhouse. We were coming from opposite ends of the board, and almost in the safety of the home finish point. The harvester's next turn brought his token between mine and Davy's. It was possible now for him to reach one of us. The other would most likely make it into the home, but one wouldn't. He decided to turn towards my little brother. Davy rolled and landed on the final card pickup before the front steps of the home. He lifted the card and stared at the image. It was his tiny token, the little boy, walking through the slaughterhouse. Behind him, the harvester had a chain metal apron. He carried a large electric bone saw in his hands. He was covered in blood. His one visible milky white eye was aimed at the little boy in the image. And with that, the harvester's token was right behind my brother's. The voice whispered out from the screen. Don't look behind you. Davy screamed, spinning around and staring up at the TV. The harvester was looking down at him. A crooked smile had formed. My dad knocked on our door, scaring us all even further. He told us it was time for bed. Davy snapped off the TV, vanishing the harvester's face from our visions, just as he was beginning to outright laugh. We all decided to call it a night. We turned off the lights, and I climbed up into my bunk. Davy was already under his covers, only his face poking out. He did not look okay. Jeff packed the game up and put it away. Then him and Brad tucked into their sleeping bags. The room was pitch black. All I could hear was four sets of hushed breathing. Everyone was still scared. I could tell we were all still thinking about the game. It really was creepy and some of the things that the harvester said felt personalized. I knew Davy had a fear of slaughterhouses. He'd seen the Texas Chainsaw Massacre in one of our first club meetings and still hadn't fully recovered. I also knew Jeff hated graveyards because of his grandpa's funeral, and Brad hated forests because he had been lost during a childhood camping trip. We were all scared of plenty of things, though. I knew I was just trying to scare myself now, and I tried to think of the movies we watched. But my mind kept inserting the harvester's face and voice into my memories. Everything kept leading back to him. Then I got really nervous. I remembered one time when Brad had brought over a Ouija board for the club, It was kind of fun. I didn't really believe in it, but I wanted to. I was thinking about the one rule Brad had made clear that we needed to follow when we were finished playing with the Ouija board. When we were done, we had to end the conversation. My mind took that rule and ran with what we had just played. We never did finish the game. I rolled over, looking out my window. The wind was picking up and caused the light from the street lamps to flicker against the glass. That's when my eyes picked up a shape, a human shape, in the shadows of our next-door neighbor's hedges. I saw a silver of that porcelain skin. Then it was gone. Was it him? Had I seen... The harvester? Stop it. You're scaring yourself. Just go to bed. I rolled onto my back and shut my eyes. It felt like this was going to be a very long night. I finally drifted off. The sleep was restless, filled with nightmares of long hallways, with many doors all darkened by the silhouette of the harvester. In my last dream, the static fuzz that accompanies the end of a VHS finishing its recording drifted in. Then I was awake in bed, laying on my back. I could hear the TV fuzz clearly. Had someone been watching something? I rolled onto my side and looked down. The TV was emitting that static fuzz, but I saw Davy's foot in his Freddy Krueger-themed socks pulled through the TV screen. My heart stopped and I shot back in bed. I was pressed into the top corner of my room, unable to see the screen. I didn't want to see it. Had I just seen what I thought I'd seen, Was that actually his foot? I knew I saw his sock, but had it been pulled through the screen? I gathered my courage and crawled back to the edge of the bunk and looked down. Jeff and Brad's sleeping bags were empty. Between them, the board game was set up. All the pieces were placed where we had left them. I was so scared to look down and see what was in my brother's bed. Disturbing visions of the harvester, stringy hair, long, gangly arms wrapped around Davy was all I could think of. But I peeked under. His bed was empty too. I was the only one in the room. I climbed down the ladder from my bunk and inspected the board. The pieces were in the same places, but they were different. They didn't look like random little boys anymore. They looked like Brad, like Jeff, like Davey, and like me. We were all there. I reached out to pick up my piece, but I felt a shock spark through me. The room got really bright, and I realized that the screen was now inches from my nose. And the next second, I felt my body passing through something like a flurry of snow. Then a late November wind rushed overhead. It got dark. My face was pressed into dirt. I was cold. I got up, feeling four walls of dirt around me. My eyes adjusted, and I realized I was in an empty grave. It was about six feet high, but I could reach the top and pull myself out. I looked out and saw I was in the graveyard from the game. The same mausoleum sat in the distance, the one Jeff didn't make it through. Oh, my God. I was in the game. I leaned against the wall of the grave, wondering how this could all be. What was I doing here? Then it hit me. Jeff was here. Somewhere in the mausoleum. If I could find him, maybe that was how I'd get out. Or maybe I'd be led into a trap. Either way, I didn't want to wait in this grave any longer. I climbed out. The grave beside me had a hole dug up through the center, like something had pulled itself out. The gravestone said, Harvester. 1691 to blank. I thought back to Jeff in the graveyard. While playing, his character had picked up a key in the rose bushes near the entrance to the mausoleum. It's what allowed him to get inside and try to leave the property. I needed that key. I set across the graveyard, wind whistling between the stones and shadows taunting me. I felt like I was being watched from every angle. Silhouettes of the harvester peeking out from behind the tombs. I made my way towards the garden on the side of the mausoleum. It took me a few minutes of nervous searching, but I found a bronze key with a skull for the bow, sticking up from the soil like a flower. I unlocked the back door of the mausoleum and entered. Slivers of moonlight highlighted the edges of hundreds, maybe thousands, of sealed coffins in the walls. The mausoleum, all of a sudden, seemed so much bigger inside. Crying echoed through the endless halls. It sounded like Jeff. I hoped it was. I followed the crying. It led me down several hallways before I heard it coming from the walls. I checked one of the seals and saw it had Jeff's name written on it. I pulled the handle and yanked the coffin out. There was a thudding coming from inside, and the lid burst open, with Jeff screaming and gasping for air. He hugged me when he saw me and I helped him out of the coffin. He was shaking uncontrollably and said that the harvester had taken him and pulled him through the TV. The next thing he knew, he was stuck in that coffin. He was crying far too loudly and the sounds were echoing through the halls. I quieted him down and told him we needed to get to the front door. We moved through one aisle, then another, and another. Finally, we were back in the main hall. I saw the front door, way down at the other end. We rushed towards it. Somewhere behind us, the harvester screamed out, Don't look behind you. I felt Jeff's body shift to turn back, but I yanked him forward and told him to keep staring straight ahead. We kept running. The voice screamed out again, this time closer. We kept running and got to the entrance as the words bellowed behind us. We burst through the door and slammed it shut. Nothing followed. No banging on the door or screaming. Just silence. We turned around to see we were now facing a wall of tall, dark trees. It was the forest Brad didn't make it through. You could barely see five feet into the woods. It was just too dark. How the hell were we supposed to make it in there? Then Jeff remembered there was a flashlight near the entrance to the woods. At the beginning of the game, Brad rolled a two and missed getting it by one digit. We could avoid that in person. There was an entrance a few yards to the left that led onto a path that disappeared a few feet in. We jogged over to it and found the flashlight sticking up from the bushes. It worked and gave us a large window of vision through the woods. We moved down the path, which was barely that. It was only about a foot wide and filled with gnarled roots and branches. We had no idea how we were going to find Brad, but he was lost in the darkest parts of the woods, so that's where we headed. Jeff and I got to what felt like the middle of the forest. It was pitch black all around us, I stopped Jeff and turned off the flashlight. It was like our eye sockets were cut. Everything went black. Then I heard crying. Brad's crying. I turned the flashlight back on and we followed the crying. It got closer. But so did the sounds of twigs breaking somewhere behind us. I reminded Jeff not to look back, no matter what. Finally, my flashlight hit Brad. He was wrapped up in vines, which we had to break and pull apart to get him free. The twigs behind us kept breaking. We got Brad up and moving, and I hustled them down the path. I had no idea where I was leading them, but hoped it would be to wherever my little brother was. A scream echoed through the forest. It was the harvester, saying he was coming to get us and to turn around and see. I yelled not to listen to him and to keep running. The voice kept yelling and getting closer and closer. We could feel his cold breath on our necks, Then, we all fell forward. We slid across a slicked tile floor. We were immediately soaked in a foul mix of innards and blood. We were in the slaughterhouse, in what appeared to be a spare parts room, or maybe it was for bleeding out. All I could see were a million shades of red Covering the walls and floor, and my best friend's pale, sickly faces in the midst. Bone saws of all kinds screeched out, echoing through the vast warehouse from some not too distant room. I could hear Davy's whimpers under them. I put my hand down to lift myself up, and found it pushing into the stomach of what appeared to be a pig. Vomit rose in my throat. As I was pulling my hand out, I felt my hand grip onto something hard and handle-like. It was a large knife. I remembered back to Davy playing and just missing landing on a square with a blade he would have picked up. I threw up anyway, but held the knife tight. Jeff and Brad got up with me, and we peeked out the doorway. The hallway looked to be never-ending, impossibly far into the distance, and lined with doors. It was filled with piles of small body parts of animals and people. I saw the upper torso and head of a woman resting atop the body of a hog at the peak of one mound. The bone saws continued to screech out, It was almost unbearable. But I kept hearing Davy's low screams and yells under them. I rushed down the hallway, trying to follow the sounds. Brad and Jeff were several steps behind, clutching each other the way I did with the knife held in front of me. The screams got closer. But so did the bone saws. Don't look behind you echoed out above them. It felt like they were going to be in the next room we passed, but I saw Davy instead. He was locked in a rectangular cage at the bottom of a pile of loose body parts. I rushed into the room, inspecting the lock to get my brother out. The key. I pulled it out, and it fit the lock perfectly. The cage snapped open, but as it did, the floor under it gave out. Davy and the large pile of body extremities fell, dropping ten feet and landing in what appeared to be... Oh, no. They landed in a living room. The floor was old wood, rotting the deterioration of a long-abandoned house. I'd been in it only once before, but I knew it well. It was the old Wagner house, and was said to be haunted. I'd been dared to go inside and retrieve a photograph of the master bedroom upstairs. The only way in was through the basement window, which had not been barred or boarded up so that's where i started i'd gone through the basement up and through the first floor living room and to the staircase the second floor i didn't make it past the hallway as i was walking to the master bedroom the attic door hatch popped open and the ladder leading up slid down i turned and ran back downstairs and out through the basement I never did end up getting the photo and lost the dare. Now here I was, looking down into the same living room. Jeff screamed behind me. The harvester was here. His voice shrieked into the room. Don't look behind you. I kept my eyes forward. "'Grabbed Brad and Jeff and pulled them over the lid cage. "'We fell onto the living room floor of the Wagner house. "'I looked up and saw the harvester leaning over the cage. "'He pulled himself over to jump down onto us, "'but it all disappeared and became the ceiling of the living room. "'His voice echoed down to us, repeating those same four words.' It all happened so fast, I didn't realize I was laying right beside Davey. He didn't either, so when I grabbed him and we locked eyes, tears overwhelmed us. I knew we didn't have much time, though, so I picked us up and rushed Jeff and Brad to the basement staircase. We sprinted down the dark cellar, squeezing between a massive, ancient furnace and the wall. The window was just on the other side. It was a tight fit, but I let us through the... Oh, no. The window. The window was... gone. It was all wall now. We were trapped. A metallic screech came from inside the furnace. It sounded like a series of sharp blades scraping across metal. We were going to die down here. The four of us, trapped like rats. Wait, no, there was one other way out. I remembered it from the first time I saw the house. At the very top under the highest arc, there was an attic window that was empty of glass or a frame. It led onto a roof that could be easy enough to climb down from. We just had to go upstairs to the the drop-down staircase. The one that sent me running through the house a year ago. That was it. That was the way out. The metallic scraping got louder. I yelled for the boys to go back upstairs. We squeezed back out as the furnace started to rumble. Heat began emitting from it, and the screeches got louder. Don't look behind you. We kept moving and got back up the staircase to the living room. We rushed back over the pile of body parts, slipping through the blood-soaked wood. Up the next set of stairs... I was leading with Davy's hand held tightly in mine. But I slowed down as we reached the second floor hallway. It was empty, quiet, and dark. The drop-down door was closed. Shit. We'd have to lift each other up to pull it down. I led the boys forward. Then, from the bottom of the stairs... The harvester's words yelled up. Don't look behind you. Our neck stiffened again, trying to contain the natural urge to turn. We continued on. Suddenly, the drop-down door swung open and the ladder shot down. We all fell into each other, collapsing backwards. As we did, I looked up into the small, rectangular doorway in the ceiling. Light from a window streaked across it. There it was. Our way out. I pulled Davy up and yelled for Brad and Jeff to hold on tight. We formed a chain and climbed up the ladder into the vast attic. I could see the open window at the far end. It was still there. That thought didn't last long as Davy tripped and pulled me down with him. My grip let out on the knife and it skittered forward. Jeff quickly grabbed it and he and Brad sprinted for the window. I got Davy up and made chase. Behind us, I could hear something large shambling up the drawn up ladder. It made me run faster. Brad and Jeff climbed out of the window and reached in for us. I pulled Davy with me, and we both went through the window at the same time. I felt a cold hand wrap around my ankle. I looked down and saw the harvester's face glowing in the dark. His other hand was wrapped around Davy's ankle. He had both of us. He was pulling yanking us down into the darkness of the attic. Davy's grip was loosening on the window, and I knew he wasn't going to last any longer. I let go of the window and slid into the attic, knocking the harvester's grip from Davy's ankle. I yelled for them to run. The harvester landed on top of me, his stringy hair blocking out any light from the window. He leaned down, opening his mouth to bite, when all of a sudden, a sliver of metal slashed through the air. The harvester fell back, the handle of the knife sticking out of his neck. I felt three sets of hands grab my shoulders and yank me up through the window. Brad, Jeff, and davy They saved me. I stood up outside and looked to the other side of the street. I could see our home. The windows glowed outward, warmly. It felt so different than the rest of the world. We rushed out along the roof to the edge of the rotted shingles. One at a time we climbed down the pipe to land on the grass. Jeff. Brad. Davy. My eyes were focused on the window. I kept waiting to see the harvester's face appear, him climbing out after us. But he didn't. It was my turn to climb down, but my eyes never left the roof. As I was halfway down, I heard the front door of the house slam shut. Oh, no. He was outside. I threw the key down to Jeff and yelled for them to run. I jumped the remaining five feet and took off across the street. From my peripherals, I could see the harvester was near, but I did not dare look back. I ran hard, but I felt him gaining behind me with every step. That cold breath hit the back of my neck. Jeff and Brad were inside home now, and Davy was just entering. They were all waiting for me. I heard the harvester's voice whispering over my shoulder. Don't look behind you. I'm right here. I'm right here. I kept running up the front walk and to the door. I never looked back. The front door slammed shut behind me and cut off the harvester's voice. Just then, I shot up in bed. We all did. I was on the top bunk. Davy was back on the bottom bunk, and Jeff and Brad were in their sleeping bags. We all had the same knowing and horrified expression. No one said anything, but we all knew. The harvester was on the TV. The timer was just ticking down to zero. His voice creaked out from the screen, disappointed, saying we'd survived the game and to come back any time, if we dared. But to remember, don't look behind you. The TV went to static fuzz again. It stopped, then started to self rewind. I jumped down to the bed and ejected the tape. I pulled all the film out and tore it to shreds. We packed the board game back up and snuck out to the garage where we grabbed a can of kerosene and some matches. We took the board game out to a park nearby and lit it on fire in the empty public pool. We left it burning there. The next morning, we all played it off like it was a bad dream, even though Brad no longer had the large board game he'd shown up with. Him and Jeff left before lunch, And Davey and I agreed we did not want a TV in our room anymore. So we got rid of it. We now unplug the one in the downstairs living room every night. We've postponed Horror Club indefinitely. And Davey and I are thinking of trying out baseball cards as our new hobby. Thank you for joining me in this episode of the Nope Too Creepy podcast. If you're interested in learning more about the author, links to connect with them can be found in the show notes. I'll include a few links, including one to their podcast, which I greatly recommend checking out. The narration and production quality is amazing, and it will definitely send chills down your spine. Speaking of chills, I'm going to make one more call out in this episode anyway, for my project that launched today. If you want to show support and reserve your copy of Encounters, please be sure to check out the Kickstarter. Thank you in advance, dear listener. Until next time, this is your host, Dan David, reminding you all to stay safe out there. I'll be seeing you in the next episode. Nope.